for you are no longer a slave, but a son and an heir of God through Christ. This is OutboundLife.org. In other words, the kingdom that was here is not the kingdom that was coming. All right, so two kingdoms. So in order for two kingdoms to come, you can destroy one kingdom and try to resurrect it, or you birth a seed that rises up and introduces a new kingdom, which is what Jesus did. That's a whole other Bible study talk. But just look at this perspective here. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was the power of desire in terms of prayer. There's things that people were praying for that they thought they were praying for personally, but God was actually birthing it to prayer so it could affect everything else. So when you're praying for things that are in your heart and that you desire, that, that you're working on, you have, it's most likely God's going to do something in that and then affect everybody else because it's always for a bigger picture because God's always looking for somebody to birth ideas through and birth himself through. Because God works through people. I know it's a bummer sometimes, but that's how he works. He chose us. Why? Because he made man have authority over the earth. So then he puts his own son in the form of man who can take back the authority. All right. Um, the other thing that, to put in context, the people of this era, so this is what the people of this era are looking at, is that God was a fearful and distant God. He was fearful and distant. If you met him, you died. If you met an angel, you died. Because you were not of the caliber to accept the glory of what God was. So you're different. So keep that in mind. When angels appear before people, they are shaking in their boots when God shows up because of what they're expecting is, I guess we're going to die. So there, there's a dread. The, the other idea is the shame from generational curse. What your father did got passed down. What Adam did got passed down. Even if you were perfect and spotless in the law, you still were not. Amen. As we will see. So that's the context of this. So there's three big thoughts I want to look at tonight. One is the miracle birth. That's a whole topic all by itself. You guys got to study some of this stuff out. So if there's a little keynote, maybe just go look at other things. So the miracle birth, preparations. So the first miracle birth will be John, the preparation of our heart in a new way. The second miracle birth is that of a Savior King and an image of the new you. So one is the preparation of the heart for something. The other is the acceptance of what you've become. That is the gateway. So these are the gateway that are going to bridge this. The third point is the collision of two worlds. Because two worlds are going to collide. Alright? So with that, we're going to start Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. And it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, and the division of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. How many can say that? That's a pretty huge undertaking to say, we did it all. They were righteous before God. They did everything God commanded. All right? So based on the law, they should have all the blessings. Is that 
not correct. But the next verse, but. This is where the righteousness part needs to change, and we'll kind of hit those points. But I just want you to kind of remember these key points. Remember the but. They had no child. So I want you to kind of consider these things I'm going through. They had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And by the way, for those who said, well, if God would just show up to me, I could really know what I need to do. If, if I could just see an angel just come and tell me what to do, it would change everything. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell on him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers, prayer is heard. So why did the angel come? Because of Zacharias' prayer. Very powerful. How did God get permission to work in this earth under an old kingdom? People. They had to be invited in to this world. Now, he could wipe the whole thing out and start fresh, but in order to keep and salvage the people, Amen. he had to work within this broken system to bring a new system. All right? So he, through prayer, an angel shows up to answer Zachariah's prayer. By the way, there's so much richness in this, I'm really going to try not to go off on anything. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go, so this is a quote from Malachi, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is really critical here, so I'm not going to pause it, but I just want you to capture what he's saying. The heart of the father, the children were designed to serve the father. The children's, the value of the father was the children. And God is going to turn something around where he says, I see something different in the child. And the father would lift the child. Because when that happens in our society, now let's don't get to the other extreme where we worship our children. So we're not talking about children worship. They still need to be, you know, dealt with on an orderly basis. I'm talking about the heart towards them of seeing what God says about them versus seeing what we want them to be for us. Amen. That was the culture of this day. You had children to work your farms. You had children to be offspring to take your inheritance. Your children is what made your name great. So um All right. So Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? Does the angel not kind of give it a clue? <laughs> the thing that caused you to be afraid, that dread, 
no glue here? How, how is this supposed to take place? <laughs> well, let me think. I'm an angel. Came from God. I'm not of this world. Just trust me on this one. So, Zacharias, in all his wisdom, for I am an old man, and my wife is well in advanced years. The angel said, yeah. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Isn't it funny when we pray for things and good news comes, but it doesn't come in the package that we were actually expecting or in the timing that we need? We kind of start challenging, say, look out, what's this? Amen. It's your answer. But yeah. That's not what I was quite expecting in that, that process. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, I just want you to clause. This wasn't like I'm going to punish you for doing this. He asked for a sign. <laughs> I'll give you a sign. You're not going to be able to talk. And your words aren't going to be able to wreck what I just spoke to you. You're not going to be able to sit and counter and tell everybody, I'm not sure how this is supposed to work. I saw this angel, but you know Elizabeth. You know, she's like 99 years old. I'm all that, but Elizabeth. Right? He's not going to be able to go through all that. All of a sudden, there's going to be a sense of awe. He's not going to be talking. He's not going to be able to talk himself out of this whole entire process because believing and receiving has a lot to do with what you're talking. So let's let's pop let's just pause there for a moment. Let's look at believing and receiving for just a moment. In the old covenant, righteousness determined your answer. In the new covenant, righteousness determined your answer. Amen? That didn't change, did it? The difference is, is who's righteousness? So they were righteous, but there was a problem. Under the old covenant, it was a shame and a curse to not be able to have children. So how can they be righteous but still be under a curse? So based on old covenant, God had to honor and bring forth the child because they had been righteous in the law. Okay? But it was all on them. But isn't it interesting when we do all the works, it's kind of hard to receive because it doesn't come quite when we want it because it has to all get in order first? So I want you to note that. So they were righteous, but they were incomplete. In Luke 1 13, a word came because of his prayer, right? So his prayers brought forth the word or the, or the answer. Disbelief comes in, so we need a sign. Like, how many times have God, I'm just really praying, and you just, I've been really praying, I'm just going to throw this fleece up before the Lord. But we want this fleece to really prove, should I take this job or shouldn't I take this job? So I'm going to I'm going to lay a rock out. If it's wet in the morning, then I know God wants me to take the job. And if it's dry, then the grass is wet. And then we keep doing it over and over. And Listen, we don't live in a time where they drew lots, and they almost gambled, like, like in the sense when they were to hear from God, the priest would roll the lumen and the thumbin, and whatever it rolled, that would be the answer from God. They didn't have this spiritual inclination. They had to kind of do it in a way that's kind of weird, how we would look at it, but it wasn't weird to them. God told them to do it that way, all right? Context, I just don't understand it, but it's, it's weird to me, not weird to them. It's like eating chicken feet in soup. <laughs> 
time and error. So looked to, they look at God as more of a lottery drop. All right? But then we see Mary. So now let's flip over and let's look at Mary. Gabriel's busy at this month, this year. Because in the sixth month, he goes, the angel Gabriel, Gabriel was sent by God to, a, to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin Mary. Verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. What did Mary do to get this invitation? Nothing. You see, grace is starting to integrate into this world. We're transitioning from one covenant into the new. There's a preparation of hearts into a new way of doing things. Mary was not praying for a child before marriage. I don't think that was on the prayer list. That wasn't in her thoughts. But when she saw, and having come in, the angel said, Rejoice, highly favored one among women. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, over his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? But I want you to know the difference. How can I know this is true? Versus, I'm in, but we're not really used to having children without another man involved. So I'm not married yet, so we've got a little bit of issues culturally, because if I'm not married, we have a problem, right? So she's trying to process, just help me get an order on this one, because we're way outside of the box. <laughs> That's a whole lot different of asking God, okay, what should my next step be? I know you're going to do this, but how do I start reminding myself? That's a conversation with your father. That is not a doubt, unbelief, and all that stuff. We just need context. So he explains how the whole thing will happen, how the Holy Spirit will come on you, he'll overshadow you, and the one who is born to you will be called the Son of God. And indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also conceived the Son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for whom, uh, who is called, for, for her who is called barren. In verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. So there's an establishment of a new order. There's something new beginning to happen. Then Mary said, listen to this very closely, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She conceived Jesus at the moment she said, let it be. You see, in our current, as with the favor of God and with the grace of God and our position of righteousness because of everything Jesus did, the moment you receive a promise that God's spoken to you, it's been conceived. And I love it. She acts on it. You know, Zachariah finally got it because he acted on it too. It says a week afterwards, he went home to be with Elizabeth. So he acted on the word. And it was shortly thereafter she conceived. So obviously, there was an action that took place, right? Mary acted too. When she said, when he, she was told Elizabeth is also pregnant, 
It says in verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste and to a city and entered into the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So she went in action based on what she had received. Believing and receiving. Two contrasts. I like the second one a whole lot better than the first one. But you know what's great about God? If he has to provide mercy to you to get you something, or if you want to step into the grace and just receive what he's already done, he loves you so much, he'll find a way to get it to you. But there's a better way. So we're going to look at the second one. So let's look at the paradigm shift, which is the second point under the miracle of birth. Luke one seventeen. You're going to turn the heart of the father to the child. This is a cultural paradigm. This is a radical shift in the way families operated. And we can see this in Luke 117. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, in Luke 161. Luke 161. But they said to her, because this is right when John is born, all right? There is no one among your relatives who's called by this name because they wanted to call him John. You can't call him John, we're gonna call him Zacharias. You can't do this. This goes against our whole culture way of thinking. You always name the child after the father or someone in your lineage because we gotta keep this genealogy thing in order. But God says to call him John. So when they finally asked John, they gave him a tablet and he scratched in, his name's John, his mouth opened up and awe fell over the people. And they wondered, what kind of son would this be? Isn't it interesting, when God started bringing the identity of the child, the father and the child relationship was starting to be changed. You see, God is God, but he says, my son is going to be king. And he raises him up, and God just has this way of loving to lift you up. You know, Jesus didn't come into this world to be served, but he came to serve. Because the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all, and you're not going to outdo God. Amen. That one's free. Not on your <laughs> so we turn the heart of the father to the child, then he starts changing the name structure. You're giving him the name that I said he is. Then we go on, and in Luke 135, is another paradigm shift. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. We now have a new pattern of a new birth system. See, we're no longer, your genealogy of who your dad was and who your earthly dad was and who all that was is no longer relevant in the kingdom of God. It's who you are of the new birth. So you're not born of a royal family. Why is this important? Because your generational stuff has just been broken off. What your fathers and your grandfathers and your back to Adam is no longer have power because you're no longer of that bloodline. That might be a little deep, but I'm just, bloodlines matter. Mary was of the bloodline of David, so she could bear, bear a son that could sit on the throne. Jo Joseph was of the bloodline of David. See, there's promises to bloodline because that's how kingdoms are established. Here's the truth of where grace and favor really will mess with a lot of people. Favor's not fair. Right. That's okay. It's really unfair. <laughs> and it only belongs to the children of the one who's benefited, giving the 
the favor. Thank God we get to be a child. Amen. Otherwise, it's just not fair. <laughs> so we see this paradigm shift and this kingdom switching, and then we also see this removal of shame. You see, when Elizabeth could not have a child, what do you think the people thought of her under these great, oh, these righteous people that obey the commands are not obeying all of them because she doesn't have a kid, that's a curse. And she's getting old and they can't have children now. The reproach of the community was fierce. And I love this in verse uh, 25. It says, thus the Lord, she's praying after she conceived. By the way, after she conceived, she hid herself away for five months. You see, there's sometimes when you conceive something that you know is God speaking, you don't, you need to share it with someone, but you become very careful until it's really established in you. And then once it's established in you, it changes the whole dynamics. But she hid herself away for five months, probably thinking, I gotta protect this whole idea. So she hid it away, and, he's, and then she goes on to say, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me. When he looked on me, and he took away my reproach from the people. I love that. He puts you at the table in the presence of your enemies. And he looks on you. He no longer, you have this feeling that he's turned his back. P.S. He's never turned his back. We turned our back on him. He's always been looking. We just finally get turned around. But he removes the shame. But it's interesting when Mary has her child, which I don't get to be chapter two, but she brings... Her whole child is birthed into shame. But she's free inside. Elizabeth gets free from the inside. All right. The second part, the inhabitation of God in Luke. This miracle birth, Savior, King, and image of the new. Luke one thirty five again, talking about how the Holy Spirit would overshadow us, is a picture of the new birth. How are we born again? We believe, we receive the word, and we become heirs of the kingdom. We become part of his bloodline. And here's just an interesting thought, just for all of the Deuteronomy and Leviticus studies studiers that I have in here. In the Old Testament, bestiality was, a, a, you were killed for it. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody else. But you were killed for it. Basically what it meant was trying to reproduce with something not of your kind. Did God ever violate his word? So when he came and brought a child into Mary, into Mary that would be his son, what does that declare over mankind? They're of his kind. You're not a lower being, you're not his pet, and you're not his dog. He doesn't love you like you love your animal. He doesn't do nice things for you because you can't have a relationship with something that's not your kind. You're of his kind. So grace was demonstrating your value in his view. So we're inhabited now by God. So we're, John 1, 12 through 14 says, we are born not of men, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. Then it also changed in Luke the relationship between God and man as we just discussed. He saw the value in what you were. 
And his heart was for you because you're of him. So basically he came, and John the Baptist says he came to remove the darkness, bring remission of sins, so that now we are free to worship him the way we want and remove the enemy that's been holding us back. As he prophesies later, uh, Zacharias in Luke 1, 68 through 79. That's what John came to do. A new kingdom's coming in. Second thing in this, with this relation with God and man, I just want you to really catch this, is verse 46 through 55. She talks about the poor elevated to the rich. And she talks about this shift, like this thing gets turned upside down. That's breaking the shame. That's changing the new. That's making a new relationship with God. Because we used to think, well, if I'm not a priest, I can't go before God. Because in the Old Testament, you don't go into the temple. You don't go into the holy place. You don't, you're not the mouthpiece for God. The prophet and the priest were. That's all changed. Now he's made you kings and priests. So our relationship between God is in Colossians 1.27 says Christ is in you now, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. So now God's indwelling in you. Your relationship is different. In Ephesians 2.6 he says he's raised you up and made you sit together with him in heavenly places. In other words, he brought you to the place that he sits. So he's no longer looking down. He came down to you and then brought you up to him. So you're with him up there and he's with you down there. It's just an amazing process. God in you, you in him. Sounds like a chorus song. <laughs> then in Luke, verse 79, a new kingdom and culture would come in. It says in Luke 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I'm just going to highlight this word peace really quick, if you'll just give me two of them. The meaning of peace in the English is like, it conjures up this passive, no, just, there's no re nothing against us, it's just this calming, zen thing. <laughs> We're at peace. I just trust peace. You just don't want any conflict. So we make it the absence of any conflict is peace, right? The biblical concept of peace actually rests on the word, I can't pronounce it, but it's the Hebrew word, which means to be complete and to be sound. So when he says, I'm going to bring you in the way of peace, he's going to make you complete and sound. That's pretty amazing. The second part of that is, it also highlights to live well, referring to healthy, a healthy body, health, wholeness. It also refers to a right relationship with God. In other words, it's all brought, you're now complete in Him. You're fulfilled in Him. So that's what the way of peace was. It wasn't in the way of avoiding conflict. Because Jesus actually said from that perspective, he said, I didn't come to bring peace, Amen. but a sword. And I'll divide, and I'll split your families, and one will love you, and one will hate you. Your, your children will turn you in. I'm, I'm going to create a mess for you. Yep. Yep. Anybody feel that one? Because of what you believe? But it wasn't because he's against them, but he has to pull you out into a new way of thinking, and in time, it can bring life to that. But if he just brings, okay, guys, no more problems, no fighting. 
Let's remove all that. All it's doing is settling something that still is there. There's no freedom in that. So the, the sword comes and pierces the heart and opens this up. And it's messy at first. But stick with it. It'll come around. So these two worlds collide now in Luke. And the nature of the Father is exposed. Because we see that he turned the heart. He began by showing how he turned the heart of the child. To the father, to the child. Jesus got a name. He wasn't named after Joseph. He wasn't named after David. He wasn't named after his lineage. He was named after God, meaning God with us. He was named after his father. A different father, a different view, a different lineage, a different kingdom. Then he goes on, or then it goes on with the nature of the father is when you see Jesus now, you see the father. So when Jesus comes on this earth and he's walking in the nature, that's what our father looks like. So if you want to know what God is like, look what Jesus did. If you look at the Old Testament and say, look what God is there, then go to what Paul says and get filled with the Spirit and interpret it from the Spirit of God and you'll discover what's going on there. But Jesus is the picture of the Father. And we have such a negative impression of him when he came, this can't be him. Because where's your sword and how are you going to get rid of the Romans and how are you going to free our nation and how are you going to get rid of Herod and how, all right, we're going to rise up and we're going to go to battle and we have our victory and we can have our natural kingdom back. And he said, I didn't come to bring you that one. Yeah. <laughs> I came to bring you to something better. Luke also deals with, in the collision of the two worlds, is showing the difference between man's righteousness and God's righteousness, which we receive. Man's righteousness is everything that happens to you is based on what you've done. God's righteousness is what happens to you is based on what I've done and your freedom to receive it. As we see Mary receiving Jesus, and we see Zachariah receiving the miracle of John the Baptist. So this, the other part of the conclusion of the two worlds is redeeming the heirs of this kingdom. So I'm going to leave you with this. Revelation 1, 5 through 6. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood, has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.